Hello and welcome back to A Method to the Madness, the weekly podcast where we discuss, analyse, and otherwise ponder our favourite films and television. I'm your host Patrick, and joining me as always is my co-host Mitchie. Hello! And this week we are covering The Irishman, the 2019 film written by Steve Zalian, directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel, and... Al Pacino. Um, Al Pacino, sorry, yes. Can't forget him. Yeah. yeah. As always, we'll go around and get our general impressions of the film. Mitchie, what do you what do you what did you think of this film? Yeah, like I, I didn't mind it. And and I this is I'm not very experienced at Scorsese, and this is one of my first gangster films of his. The only other film I've seen of his actually is Wolf of Wall Street, so I haven't actually haven't you seen, seen Silence? No, not yet. No, oh, okay. I was going to watch it the other night, but um, I didn't get around to it. Yeah, so but again, that's not a gangster movie either, even if I had watched it. So this is a yeah, and I know he's well known for that. And I actually, you know, I, I enjoyed this movie. And fuck, like honestly, I don't believe it should be this long. Like, there's a bunch <laughs> of shit you could cut out of it and still convey the same stuff, honestly. And I understand like he wants to create film and cinema and and watch it on a big screen, but like feasibly who sits through a three and a half hour movie in the cinemas and not has to and they don't have to go and piss or something like you know like it's just to me it's it's much too long and that's a big downside to it and what i did was i broke it up into two chunks i was actually going to break it up into four chunks but i actually enjoyed it enough that i broke it up into two chunks but it's still like almost fucking two hours of each of those chunks for each of those chunks and the first half i enjoyed a lot more second half has seemed to drag on a little bit more but overall, I just enjoyed the movie just ostensibly and didn't read into it too much. But I just, yeah, enjoyed it on a surface level. I thought it was a really good, really well-made, solid movie. Just too long. Yeah, I totally agree. It's way too long. As is, like, that's pretty par for the course for Scorsese. I think the average is about, like, two and a half hours for all his films. Um, really? That's not too bad. Yeah. I thought it would have been worse. <laughs> two and a half hours is a long time still. Yeah, it is, um, yeah. But, like, yeah. two and a half hours is, like, probably Nolan's average, right? But I'm happy to sit through two and a half hours of Nolan. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Actually, Scorsese, if I recall, he has, like, really long epilogues. And yep. it seems like... I think that's what makes his movies feel long, is that you think it's over and then there's, like, another half hour and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I watched this in, like, four sittings. Scorsese would fucking hate me, man. But, like... Four I mean, sittings, fuck, so what, like yeah. 50 minutes each then? <laughs> I watched half an hour each morning for three days, and then on the fourth day I just watched all of it. Uh, wow, that's fucked. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's a little bit too much. You're kind of just breaking it up too much that you kind of lose a cohesion in it. Well, okay, so I, I the first time I saw it, I saw it in three one-hour chunks, and then mm. this time... Oh, right, yeah. okay. Yep, yep. Yeah, but like, I mean, that's the thing about this film, it's split up in a way where it works for that viewing really well like you know he, he goes on about the purity of film whatever but he released it on netflix pretty quickly <laughs> after it came out in cinemas which makes me think that he's also aware of this like it's it, well, it very much suits viewing it in multiple chunks so i watched an interview between martin scorsese and peter travers who does this, that youtube channel popcorn he just interviews like directors and actors and shit it's for the rolling right. stone i think and um yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, like, he's talking about cinema and, like, 
you know, his usual Scorsese self, like film not being what it is anymore, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, apparently no one would give him the money to do this film and Netflix were the only option he had. So, so like none of the studios are willing to like donate or, you know, give, willing to give the money to him, which is surprising really, because he's a critically very well acclaimed director and he's been around for like 40 years. Like I trust him. Like, I don't care if I don't like well, his movies. Like, he would make money, right? Like, surely he's not that... You know, like, it's just it's just bizarre to me. But Netflix apparently were the only ones. So he's like, yeah, I've got to take it. And he did, which is so ironic. Well, that's the thing, man. His movies, probably no one has any doubts that it will be good. But I think they'll, they have doubts whether it'll make money or not is the thing. But surely they um, all make, like, well over I, profit. I'm, I'm sure they at least look, break but... even. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, surely it's Scorsese. How how can he win all these awards and not break even at least? I mean, but you know, the the irony that you point out is really funny actually, considering, you know, his his crusade for saving film. But the thing is in in the last decade, or maybe not the decade, in the last like 5 years, these streaming services like Netflix and uh Stan and stuff, they're the ones who have been funding like really kind of out there projects and yeah. giving uh funding to you know a variety of different voices yeah more so than hollywood has ever been doing and yeah i don't know it's you know <laughs> he he's it's as if he's it's like a beggars can't be choosers situation oh i guess i'll go to netflix but like bro it's netflix is where <laughs> it's at like the, the, this is the future of like cinema in my it, eyes yeah exactly it kind of pisses me off it's like because at the end of the day, he's talking shit about them, but he's happy to take money off them, which <laughs> yeah. is just, like, super hypocritical. But at the same time, like, he's just, like, you know, like a typical old person, which, we'll, you know, we're both going to be one day, right? But, like, <laughs> yeah, typical old person that's just, like, very close-minded, like, no, it was good in my day, but fuck this shit nowadays, like, fucking Netflix and streaming services. Oh, no, I can't live with that. Like, you know, it, it should be seen in a big cinema. And and then in an interview, he was talking about how, like, you know, I, I, I wasn't... He thinks that, like, people, when they when people watch Netflix, they watch it on their mobiles. And he's like, I don't know how to direct a movie that's designed for a mobile phone. And, and, and like, so I don't know how well this is going to go on Netflix. And it's, just, and it's like, I mean, you know, like, and he's like talking about how, like, I designed this for the big film. Like, I want people to see it in the cinemas, not just on the TVs, but like a giant film with fucking speakers and shit. But, but like, at the end of the day, like, you can't do that anymore, really. Like, you can still, but you've also got to account for the fact that, you know, a majority of the people will be watching it on TVs and stuff. Yeah, the world, the times are changing and the people are changing. Yeah. Which is, you know, what we'll get into, possibly this movie being a meditation on how, you know, he's past this prime kind of thing. Yeah. He's an old man now and not... Fucking step uh, He's down not as down. revered. Yeah, he's not as revered <laughs> as he once was. Yeah. But anyway. um, Yeah. A a anyway, uh, my general impressions of this film, it's... Uh, I fucking love it, dude. It's it's really rare that I, I see such subtle performances and nuance, uh, you know, in a movie of this scale, in this budget. Because the thing about his filmography is that he's really, you know, he's always had this conceit of a life of crime will lead to an unhappy life. Right. And, you know, that's not unique to this film. That's it's kind of always been his conceit. But, yeah, he's just portrayed it really extravagantly. And I think people, uh, the, well, the, it's reflected in the performances, I think. And it's just in... It makes me really happy seeing this, seeing uh, Robert De Niro give this like really kind of understated performance, and yet it is so rich. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like last week, was it last week? I can't remember when we were talking about 
was pondering his comparison of Marvel movies to roller coasters, and if if that's the case, then his movies would be like a museum. And like yeah. I think, man, this is like such a this is like the epitome of that analogy. Yeah. Like this <laughs> this you know like it's such a like a kind of mellow, understated film. This is the museum of films. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, and it's also as most museums are not particularly <laughs> yeah. interesting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, that's the majority of films I feel uh, we see nowadays are, like, very kinetic and yep. uh, sensual. Uh, by that I mean, you know, like, they appeal to your senses, not necessarily, like, erotic or anything. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know, it's just, it's great to see, like, an understated film like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think we'll go into a plot summary, Michi. Could you read that out, please? So, The Irishman is based on a novel, I Heard You Paint Houses... Frank the Irishman Sheeran and Closing the Case on Jimmy Hoffa by Charles Brandt, who was a homicide prosecutor and defense attorney. Yeah, and um, quick side note, he this this the novel was written by this dude, uh, Charles Brandt, who the sources were case files and pretty much just evidence from the courts that he compiled together and made and like a narrative nonfiction book out of this. Well apparently he he reckons that um Frank Sheeran actually told him that he killed Hoffa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and apparently 14 people have claimed that murder. So no one really <laughs> trusts any of those people. So no one actually has a, any certainty at, at, at all as to who actually killed Jimmy Hoffa. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, we begin with an elderly Frank Sheeran, the Irishman, who recounts his life as a member of the Northeastern Pennsylvania crime family. The story is framed through multiple flashback sequences detailing his past. Beginning in the 1950s, Frank meets Russell Buffalino, one of the heads of the aforementioned syndicate. Starting off with a dirty work for the family, Frank eventually becomes fully inducted and becomes a right-hand man of Russell. Russell tasks Frank with being the bodyguard for the president of the Teamsters Union, Jimmy Hoffa. When Hoffa is in prison for tampering with the judicial system, the union is left in charge by the pushover, Frank Fitzsimmons, who the mafia gladly take advantage of to access the union's pension fund. When Hoffa is released from prison after five years, he begins to concoct a plan to retake his position. This angers the syndicate bosses, and he is warned several times by Frank and Russell not to proceed with what he's doing. This only falls on obstinate ears, so the mafia are left with no choice but to kill Hoffa. Frank reluctantly does this, and Hoffa's body is cremated so as not to leave any trace. This assassination triggers a mass police investigation, leading to the arrest of many high-end mafia members, including Frank and Russell. In prison, they all grow old and begin to seek divine absolution. Frank, now an old man in a nursing home, speaks with a priest who tries to absolve Frank by making him feel remorse, but to no avail. The film ends with the priest leaving Frank alone for Christmas, abandoned and left alone by his family, and he asks that he not close the door all the way. End movie. God damn, they are old, old men by the end of this. <laughs> I mean, you said that, but he didn't seem that old. Like, like fucking not Russell Pesci. did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that Joe Pesci? Yeah, yeah. dude, he's like... Like, his mouth got even smaller. Like, he's, he, <laughs> like he's, all his teeth are gone. He looks like he's <laughs> sucking on a gumdrop all the time. Like, yeah. I, all puckered and shit. <laughs> like, he has, like, really... You can see his arthritis. Yeah. I, he's really good at being old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he probably is old. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what did you think of the CGI faces and such? Was it convinced to distract you? Um. Yeah, look, it wasn't great like you know like it's certainly good but like i don't know i just feel like they're trying too hard and 
I could definitely tell, like, there was not something right about it. And it's hard to say, right? Because it's like, well, you know, I'm pretty au fait with Robert De Niro. So, I see him a lot. Therefore, I know him now as an old man. So, maybe I'm just not used to seeing him as a young person again, knowing that the movie came out last year. Or it's just something fucked with the CGI. And I think it's a ladder because it's just something to do with the eyes, eh? Like, around his eyes more. Like, the rest of his face is fine. Getting the wrinkles out and all that, like, I can deal with. But... Trying to make the eyes look more vibrant and young, it's just kind of, yeah, nah. It, 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 mm. it, there was something unnatural and like you could tell it was fake, much like how you could tell that Princess Leia was fake in Rogue One. Like, just not <laughs> yeah. quite there yet, but give it another ten years and it'll be indistinguishable, or maybe five years, or three. Rogue years. One is Rogue One is an interesting case because it seems like everything is like all right, but you can still tell that there is something wrong. Like, um, yeah, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, there, there's so much detail, like, uh, there's this thing with the lighting called optical occlusion or something like that, where yep. um, the the bit between light and shadow on your face, it uh, becomes red because of how your skin absorbs light. And they're like, right. got that, and, you know, the they have pores on him and they stretch. But, yeah, just there is something still kind of wrong that you can tell. Anyway, it's um, because it's because you can't completely emulate something that's CGI into like real life yet. Like it's just something about it, right? Like like CGI is basically a cartoon. That's all it is, and you're just overlaying it onto like live action, right? And it's mm-hmm. about making it more and more realistic. So like back in the nineties, it just looked looked like you were just putting SpongeBob over a fucking movie. Like it looked like dog shit. And now we're getting better at it, but it's still not quite there. Like yeah, like you can tell it's an animation basically. I, and I don't know what, why specifically, but it does look like that. I mean, it, it probably will be a couple more years before it's accessible to filmmakers everywhere to get it like perfect. But I have seen one case of it being absolutely perfect in the newest Terminator movie. They have a CGI version of young Linda Hamilton and John Connor from oh, T- really? T2. And it looks flawless. It is so good. Oh, and young Arnold as well. Is it, is it actually yeah. any good, the movie? It I mean, dark, I mean, dark it's fate all, or whatever it's called. Yeah, dark fate. It's all right. It's okay. not amazing, but uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, most of the Terminator films aren't. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> um, most of it, James w- Cameron's movies are. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> nah. <laughs> For me, it wasn't. I, I I didn't notice that it was CGI. I mean, I, like going into it, you know, because I, I knew all the buzz around it. I knew that it was CGI, but nowhere in the film. Was I like eel? Like that's noticeable. But mm. the thing about it is that it's just—it's all well and good to get rid of the wrinkles and look the f- make the f- the skin look younger. But it's just his face is older. It's wider. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you see that's him in Taxi point. Driver, and he he's got a very sort of gaunt, like skinny face. Yeah. And uh, on set, apparently they had um, stunt coordinators that would sort of. Uh, supervise how their body movements were when in yep. the pit in the uh, shoots when they were meant to be younger. Oh, okay, I never paid yeah, attention. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but you can kind of tell. Like for example, when he beats up that shopkeeper in front of yep. his daughter, and he kind of moves like an old man. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those were the moments where I was like, yeah, like there's only so far. It's a, there's you can only take this technology so far. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean. Look, the lighting was on point. Um, I saw the kind of behind the scenes how they did that. They had they took like, well, this is how you procedure for all 
um, CGI in Hollywood movies is that you take a bunch of pictures of the location that you're in as for lighting reference, and then you plug that into a program, and that kind of makes the lighting really accurate. And on that part, they did a really good job. Mm, okay. Why don't you just talk about what you need to talk about? That's yeah, right. Yeah. Let's get it. What do you want me to do? I said, you people, what do you want me to do? Apologize for it? That's exactly what I want, Jimmy, an apology. I'll apologize for it. That's all I want. After you apologize for being late, you motherfucking wop cocksucker. Jimmy, you out of your fucking mind. I'll apologize for being late. After I kidnap your granddaughter, rip her guts out, and send them to you in a fucking oh, empire. Let's start by talking about. So, you, I mean, you already mentioned this, but you've only seen The Wolf of Wall Street out of Scorsese's filmography. Is that right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I looked through the list and I'm like, I haven't seen any of this. What do you think of that? Yeah, I loved Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, like it's pretty good, I need, yeah. I want to watch it. Again. I've only seen it once, but fuck, it was a good movie, and and I definitely watch it again. I reckon if I watch it again, it'd go to my like list of favorite movies, kind of thing. Like it was good shit. Yeah, I've also been meaning to watch it again. I've I've seen. I didn't realize until I looked at his filmography that I've actually seen quite a lot of his films, or at least his main ones. So I've seen Goodfellas, Taxi Driver, Wolf of Wall Street, The Departed, and Raging Bull. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, a lot of these have similarities. Like, I'm uh, So for this discussion, I'm just going to be sort of talking about using Goodfellas and uh, Wolf of Wall Street as references. I mean, you know, the, uh, Goodfellas is, like, considered his quintessential gangster film, right? Or his quintessential film in general. Mm. And uh, Wolf of Wall Street, similarly, is, you know, it's not a gangster film per se, but I think that's the point of the film is that it is still very criminal. It's just legal. Yeah. You know, his overall conceit with these films is that the protagonists and this kind of lifestyle isn't admirable, right? Which is, and, you know, that's that's the great irony about this thing is that a lot of people do walk out of the Wolf of Wall Street or Goodfellas going like, wow, like, fuck yeah, like, man, what a guy, what a life to live, you know, like, I want to be Jordan Belfort, I want want to climb Wall Street and be this really successful dude who hooks up with Margot Robbie and does coke all day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But as as you see in the end of those films, they're always in a position that is kind of like, it's reality crashing back in, right? Yeah. And uh, it's it's all about this kind of transient peak of extraordinariness followed by an inevitable crash Mm. um and yeah that's what like you know a lot of his films are about extravagance and extraordinariness like people living extraordinary lives that's what he likes to portray Mm. it it reminds me of that quote by tyrell in your favorite film blade runner he says the light that burns (laughs) twice as bright burns half as long that is a myth that is not my favorite film (laughs) just for the record it's probably my lowest fucking ranking film but you got to admit, that's a good quote, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it applies aptly to, you know, the, the kind of lies of these characters. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is a good quote. It applies to a lot of shit, actually. Yeah. Like, so, you like know, it's... Like, things in the animal kingdom. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a trade-off, right? Like, mm. how, how extraordinary do you want your life to be? Yeah. It's just, at the end, it probably... you It'll seem like it, it wasn't worth it. Yeah. That, that misconception of... I guess that misreading, well, not necessarily misreading, like you can read the film however you want, it's not necessarily wrong, but that that reading where people come away from those films, like with a fuck yeah attitude, like, you know, that's probably on Scorsese's part of portraying that really kind of exuberantly. Really? Okay. It's, it's, 
um, yeah, in Goodfellas, most of the movie is sort of this, like, coked up adventure. And then only at the end does everything go to shit suddenly. And then he kind of, sorry, I'm going to spoil it a bit, but he kind of sells out his friends. And uh, it's a very downbeat ending. Yeah. Like the Irishman. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. So this, if you compare Irishman to Goodfellas, yep. it is not nearly as exuberant. It is very, as I said, understated. Right, okay. And I think I think that he's, Scorsese is very trying to clearly and succinctly communicate his message this time around that like a life of crime just leads to much, much sadness. Mm. And mm. Um, pretty much like, you know, that fiction is fiction, uh, like and you know it it should stay that way because the, the reality behind the fiction is ultimately still reality yeah and you know that's the kind of things you have to sacrifice for for that kind of life aren't ultimately aren't worth it but yeah i think i, th- I think this sort of understated nature of the irishman y- you know like mixed with the the conceits of the these films that have come before it represents like the this fulcrum of scorsese's filmography yeah again it's just him really hammering home this message of like yeah like a life of crime is awesome on paper and on film, but at the end of the day, it, this is like this is like a manifestation of that idiom. At the end of the day, at yeah. the end of the day, it's not worth it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I can see that. It's yeah. I mean, the movie is kind of weird in that sense where like a lot of it, three hours of it, is just like the life of a criminal, and you know, like you say, it's a little bit more understated than his previous movies. But to me, it just felt like a criminal movie. Then the last half an hour becomes like kind of really depressing and sad and then mm. frank sheeran realizes like you know maybe he shouldn't have lived a life like that which is exactly what he's saying it's pretty um that last half an hour is actually quite good yeah yeah from an emotional perspective when he plans his own funeral and and his parents or sorry his daughters and stuff like fucking hate him and they won't one of them won't talk to him like it's pretty sad yeah i love how that's set up through the film about how peggy she's really mistrusting of russell and kind of she like sees through his bullshit like yeah um but then but then she loves uh jimmy hoffa yeah because and and that was also another bit that i loved in, loved in the movie was um just the whole killing of jimmy hoffa and and obviously frank sheeran really is reluctant about it because he's and ends up being really good family friends but he kind of has to because a mob tells him to and fuck like it's just when he, he's so gullible like jimmy doesn't have has no idea what's going on <laughs> when he gets picked up and like you just feel so sorry for them, like like fuck, you're dead, mate, and you got no idea. Hugs, um, Frank, like it's all G, you know, like his mates here. Mm. Well, he, and at the end of the day, you can't blame him for being gullible. Like Frank's there, right? And they've been lifelong friends, really, yeah. like a long time by that point. And then he just completely trusts him and thinks like, yeah, you got my back, no matter what happens, anyway. And then Frank is the one that ends up shooting him, and like, and 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 it, there was no, it wasn't poetic at all. His death, it was just like walks into the house. <laughs> And then he goes back to the door and Frank just shoots him in the back of the head. And there's like a, you know, like a small scream from um, from Jimmy Hoffa. But then that's it. And he's dead. And he's like, fuck, like, you know, like all that friendship that they had, which, you know, the, the movie does a good job of kind of expanding upon because it's so fucking long. And then it's just all gone like that in a split second. And there's no like no speech or anything like that it was so abrupt. Yeah. It, and it, I loved it. Yeah. It's sad. It is sad. Eh? It's really. Yeah. As you say, like, just he doesn't suspect anything because of the trusty as with Frank and exactly. I said so that. And again, that tells you like fucking criminals don't trust them. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're fuckheads. Like again, there's a fuck like, you know, that's Frank's sort of, uh, comeuppance at the end of him, all his family 
cutting contact with him you know mm. it's not just that it's also you know it, it's that that the, that consequence of his family cutting him off that's because of his life of crime but like you know a more direct consequence is of his loneliness at the end is because he literally killed his like best friend you know it's yeah. i just i just love yeah. how that come up and manifests itself in all these different ways like directly and indirectly yeah. um but yeah like you know at the end of the, and you know c- c- that's the complexity of kind of the story is that what in the situation he was in he couldn't not kill jimmy you know like that was just yeah. not an option uh, he had to but yeah it's yeah it's tragic it is tragic yeah and I, i'm not really i've to be honest i'm not very experienced with gangster movies at all i mean it's really like one of the first ones I've seen as an adult, really. Like I've seen a couple here and there when I was younger, but like the general, what I feel, what what my kind of cultural understanding of gangsters in Hollywood is, is that they're kind of, I wouldn't say glorified, but they're kind of seen as cool, you know, like, yeah. and, and a lot of films, they're kind of seen as like, you know, like people who are badasses and they like shoot up the cops and shit like that scene in Scarface when, um, what's the gangster call who's a gangster in that um, it's al pacino though isn't it yeah is it al pacino? yeah 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 but like really Tony famous Montana. um that's it yeah. yeah and he's like you know what's the quote he says he's got the two thompson guns and he just rolls, say hello to like, my fucking... little friend yeah <laughs> yeah you know like and it kind of it's very much like watching fury or something like that for world war Two. it kind of glorifies well, I mean, people are going to disagree with me when I say Fury, but that's what I think anyway, or Hacksaw Ridge. But, um, like, it glorifies that aspect. But then this movie is kind of like, you know, one of my first movies I've seen. And in my opinion of gangsters is like, yeah, they think they're cool. They seem cool ostensibly. But at the end of the day, they're just a bunch of criminals and you can't fucking trust them. And what happens to them at the end? They live a lonely life and they die, you know, like, yeah. because they really are homicidal murderers and they're, they're no good for society. Like, sometimes there are cases, though, when gangsters have been beneficial for society in, say, Italy or Japan. But, you know, overall, the idea of the criminal, the criminal activity is no good. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned how sometimes they're good. Like, you know, in Japan, uh, after one of the major earthquakes, the first responders were the Yakuza, right? Yeah. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, yeah 2011. Yeah. And, like, um, same thing with in Sicily and stuff when um, during the war, like, the mafia were pretty helpful yeah. fighting the germans yeah yeah and um in i can't remember in the 60s or something oh man who was it's it's very it's tied into the plot of american gangster there was this mob boss in harlem who was like you know a man of the people he, he was a he was like you know he was a murderer but yeah. he also you know gave food to like a lot of the starving people in harlem he was just revered as this like savior yeah but yeah it's interesting it makes me think, like, you know, because Frank's sort of justification for doing the stuff he did was, you know, as he says to his daughter, I did it for you guys. You know, I, I wanted to protect you guys from the world. It just makes me wonder how much of it is actually out of the kindness of their own hearts or it's a thing that you feel like you should do as absolution, you know, mm. to, like, kind of morally absolve you of your crimes. Yeah. Oh, I think it's bullshit. I mean, well, you get to the end of your life and you've just killed so many people and ruined so many lives <laughs> and you think you can get absolution through fucking religion. Like, And at the end of the day, if, if religion worked like that, then that tells you straight away that there's something inherently very wrong with it. But if there was a heaven and hell, Frank Sheeran definitely is not on like number one of the list to get into heaven, is he? Like, fuck, like... And just because he suddenly starts praying and shit with a priest doesn't mean he should be. But mm. I like how they try anyway because they've got no choice because that's all they're left with because everyone's abandoned them. 
I love that bit in prison when Russell, he's like, I'm going to church, and Frank doesn't really believe him. And then he goes, uh, you'll see. Yeah. Uh, and he does. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're, when you're faced with, with your inevitable demise, it's like, well. Which is interesting, really, because they're mafia like especially like the irishman and and the mafia like russell who are very italian you know they're very religious both of those countries ireland and italy are like very you know they're they're strongly religious Hmm. and it's interesting how like these mafia guys like nah fuck that shit i'm not i'm not with that like yeah i don't know it's it's strange yeah um in my research i came across this branch of study called eschatology which is mm. the part of theology concerned with the final events of history or the ultimate destiny of humanity. This concept is commonly referred to as the end of the world. But pretty much it's, you know, just like judgment of humanity. Yep. It's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really have anything further to say about that. I mean, the connection to the Irishman is pretty obvious, but it's interesting, this concept of judgment. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what it hints, it, hints at at the end of the movie, right? And Scorsese said that mm. himself, it's about the end of life and and contemplating death and stuff because and and like when i was watching that interview they're kind of like talking about whether it's kind of a symbol of his last movie and if he's looking at this one as is kind of his at least his final gangster movie because apparently he's done this is sixth gangster movie or fifth or something and the whole idea that like the movie ends on a very like somber note about death and the end of frank sheeran's life is kind of representative of his filmography which you know, I think is a nice way to end his filmography. But then he was like, no, no, this isn't my last movie. I'm going to keep making more. And it's like, bro, like, come on, you know, just retire, please. Like, end on <laughs> a high note. Don't fuck it up. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> Although at, at um, the same time, I say, like, give it a crack, you know, if you love it, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him and Tarantino should have a beer sometime. Yeah. <laughs> talk, talk about their ending careers. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy was a good man, you know? A nice family, too, huh? Yeah. Hello. I never wanted it to go that far. I picked us over him. Fuck him. Fuck him. One thing I like about this movie, yeah, costume design. I um, because what 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 did this movie win? It won how many awards? It got nominated for a bunch of shit, but did it actually? How many awards did it win? I'm not too sure. Wow, wow, okay. Um, yeah, so I just googled it. Ten nominations, but zero wins. That's pretty sad. <laughs> <laughs> Rip. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, fuck, poor bloke. I mean, he he won um <laughs> an Academy Award for the departed though didn't he but uh, anyway oh that's a good movie holy yeah it got best it got nominated for best costume design though which little women won but i reckon fuck i I really liked it in this like it was just such a sharp movie and like it it encapsulated the whole like idea that the mafia uh, italian gangsters and they italians are very well known for fashion and and it just was really well done from that point of view because it's kind of a hobby of mine like menswear and fashion and stuff and like you could tell the difference when you could you were traveling in time because obviously this, this is set over a period of really like 50 years and or even more than that because by the end of it you're in the early 2000s and like you can actually kind of tell just by the way that people dressed in suits that they kept an eye like uh, attention to detail for that kind of thing where 
over time fashion does change and it did change in a movie as well like just mm. little basic things like the type of shirt collars that people had or the width of the tie and stuff and i really liked it and plus you could tell like someone who was sharply dressed would always have a nice dimple in his fucking tie but all the like slobby cunts in it didn't like it was just it, I, I really appreciated that that was oh yeah. interesting yeah i mean that's a thing that you know people forget to do when they tie their tie and is it a good indication of I guess, traditionally, like, what a gentleman is and who isn't and stuff. And, you know, like, mafia, as criminals as they are, they try and be as gentlemanly as possible and they're definitely portrayed by, as that in the way that they dress. Yeah, it's very all very formal. Yeah. Slick back hair as well. <laughs> Everyone had fucking slick back hair. Tony Pro didn't obviously get the message wearing shorts to a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dude, that's my favourite scene, I reckon, just that whole meeting. I fucking loved it. <laughs> And dude, it is it is pretty funny. I haven't seen a movie with the use of cocksucker that many times. Like, I swear <laughs> I used to use that word a lot when I was like younger, like just to insult people. But now I don't really anymore because it's kind of like no one really fucking says it anymore. But like, fuck, like, I wonder if, if Jimmy Hoffa really said it. And actually, one, that, that's another thing about this movie is that historically it's actually quite interesting. And that's one bit I really liked about it is like, I love movies that have some sort of historical context, which is why I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And um, yeah, fuck, there's a lot of history in this. Like, it, it takes place yeah, over yeah. a lot of important shit. And looking up Jimmy Hoffa and reading about his story, it's pretty, like, accurate. Like, some of the shots in the movie, like, when Jimmy Hoffa walks out of the jail and he's getting you know like staunched by all the interviewers or when he's about to go into the jail holding a jacket over his hand he's in sort of like a brick room it's actually like they're based on real photos like there's shots that are exactly like that from the past of jimmy hoffa and they try and match it like almost which is nice to see that there was some attention to the historical detail there Alrighty, i think we'll wrap it up about there Mitchy, did you have any recommendations for this week yeah i do actually i bothered to make an effort um nice so I know that we sort of very uh, very quickly discussed the whole, what do you call it? The existential shit. Fuck, what was it called? Eschatology. Yeah, you know, like the idea of, of ending. And also, the which I just sort of just then, the idea of like, like changing times, which a lot of this, this movie is about as well. Like Robert De Niro is kind of out of his league by the end of it and realizes like, you know, times change. It's a little bit different in my recommendation, but I think No Country for Old Men is kind of a similar similar one in that sense. It's it's a very well-known movie by the Colin Brothers from 2007, won Best Picture that year, and it's a crime thriller as well. And it's a completely different movie, but it actually does touch on a lot of ideas about fate and existentialism, which The Irishman sort of does hint at as well, and ultimately kind of questions a life of crime. But for a more kind of topically related movie that is one of the gangsters movie gangster movies that i have seen is black mass it's a scott cooper it's movie with johnny depp right yeah yeah and it's got johnny depp it's about the it's 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 similar in the sense that it's about the life of a criminal who actually was a real criminal james whitey bulger and it's historical in that sense and tries to match certain things here and there and it's not the greatest movie but i enjoyed it and one thing about it that i love is johnny depp and how fucking, like, how transformed he is from his usual stuff. Like, the bloke's always transformed, I guess. Everything he acts in, he never looks like Johnny Depp or looks completely different. But, like, in this, he looks like the fucking most disgusting old man. And it's just great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My recommendations are a bit more tenuous. But uh, if you like a gangster films and want to sort of get a variety, Takeshi Kitano is a Japanese filmmaker, among other things. He has this, I think it's a duology 
called Outrage uh, about the Yakuza. Mm. And yeah, I've seen both of them. They're pretty good. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. And uh, of course, the obvious. If you like The Irishman, you'll probably like Goodfellas. I, I actually rewatched it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's, it still holds up. It's great. And uh, in doing this podcast, I realized the, the ending of Goodfellas is, is on a different kind of beat. It's still it's still a down beat, but it's it's interesting. You should uh, go for see, see for yourself if you're interested. Also, another one of Scorsese's films, Raging Bull. I forgot to mention it in my comparison, but it's not really a gangster film, but it's still about this transient life of extravagance and uh, like you know uh, at the end it's a man past his prime kind of yeah it's similar in that way it's yeah. really good but yeah uh where can people find us mitchy people can find our podcast on youtube spotify itunes wait youtube's youtube youtube's fuck <laughs> <laughs> people can find our podcast on youtube itunes spotify soundcloud and stitcher they can also find them on our website at amttm.com. And if you have any questions or want to send us some criticisms, please send it through to mail amttm.com. We also have a Facebook and Instagram page too, so please visit those. Awesome. And what are we doing next week? We are doing Jordan Peele's Get Out, the Ooh. 2017 very well-known, very well-acclaimed Oscar-winning film on, I guess, racism. Very obviously on racism, <laughs> but still a very enjoyable movie. And keen to get into it because i watched i don't know i've been going through like a like this is an interesting phase of human rights especially in america with the whole black lives matter thing and obviously this movie stands for that even though it's a couple years old and you know it's, it's just a good time to talk about it and discuss whether to what extent you can kind of like convey a very political message in a movie without kind of fucking the movie up and i honestly think get out is a good movie so i'm excited for it with the movie still having a plot in the diegesis you mean yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like some movies just go too far and it's like shouting out the message in your face and it's just like, okay, you know, but first and foremost, it's for entertainment, you know, so I want to enjoy it first, then kind of integrate right. the political message you got somewhere in there and be clever about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so cool. Join us next week for that. Mm. Yeah, Exciting. so thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. See ya. Al di là del bene più prezioso ci sei tu Al di là del sogno più ambizioso ci sei tu